0: Hello and welcome. My name's Karen O'Connor and this is Things That Make You Go, Hmm. This is your podcast to help you make the most of the wisdom and experience that comes with getting that little bit older. Let's get right into it. Hello and welcome. I'm here today with Ronnie. Ronnie. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Karen. It's good to be here.
0: Now, you're a clinical psychologist and you've been in private practice for 23 years. You were also a social worker before that, weren't you? Yes. And now you work mainly with adults and couple therapy, and you've also worked in the corporate sector and you've worked with veterans and their families. You've, You've got such a diverse range of experience in psychology. Yes, it is quite diverse
1: and I think that's what keeps me interested and
0: motivated. (laughs) I was going to say that. Okay, so tell me what you do right now. What is it you focus on?
1: So I'm in private practice. I have sessions in the eastern suburbs of Sydney and at the moment since Zoom I've been doing quite a lot of, since COVID I've been doing quite a lot of Zoom, more than I have been doing face-to-face. But I see adults for a range of problem areas and couples. I do a lot of couple therapy and marital therapy. And I work with veterans and their family members quite a bit for the Australian Air Force and Army and Navy.
0: One of the things you, so one of the things that interested me why I wanted to talk to you, but there's lots of other things as well just coming out of what you tell me, who you tell me you work with, but you do a lot on adaptability too, don't you?
1: Yes. Talk
0: I think that about that, because that's something that, you know, with COVID and everything, that's come up. But if you think about it also in in partnerships, in marriages, in relationships, and even in veterans, I can see how that would be applicable.
1: Yes. The thing is that we the most common thing that I see in private practice is relationship difficulties. And adjustments in terms of dealing with loss after a breakup, difficulties in a relationship. And then with COVID and its overwhelming nature, it's been very difficult for people. And it's been a massive adjustment to not only the new norm, but having to change things. And as people, we do not like to change things. We like to be in control. We don't like uncertainty. And a lot of people have what's termed an adjustment, they go through an adjustment disorder, which is the period of time in which they are trying to adjust to the newness of the situation, to the changes that are happening and the things that they have to get over in order to adapt.
0: Talk about that a little bit more. Adjustment disorder. I didn't even know it had a name. It's just like you're feeling off because everything isn't as you expect it to be. What is it exactly? Talk, talk to me.
1: So it's when there is a lot of stress that is coming outside of you. Generally, there are three most the most stressful life events are death of a loved one. And these are normed across populations and universes. The second is Breakup of a relationship, and the third is moving. And those are seen as the three most stressful life events that any human being can go through in a lifetime. So, if you go through one of those, that is a massive adjustment. You have to process this. And a lot of the time, people label themselves, they say, I'll see a a client that will say to me, I'm suffering from anxiety or I suffer from depression. And often they do. But a lot of the time, what they are doing is reacting to a situation which is extremely stressful or traumatic. And that's where I think we can get to with a lot of the time, people are actually going through trauma and don't realize they're going through trauma. Like, for example, COVID is a trauma. It's not just reacting to something that's stressful in the environment. It's actually traumatic which means that when we go through trauma, it's not like what we go through in everyday life. It's an overwhelming event or situation, which leads us feeling quite helpless and powerless. But the important thing there is that we aren't able to process what's going on at the time. And that's the difference. That's the difference with regards to a trauma or something that's just stressful or makes us anxious is that our rational brain isn't able to process it because it's so abnormal. And then this requires the organism, the person, to have to adapt. And this is very difficult because we can't adapt to something that we don't understand rationally. amygdala fires, our emotional brains are working, our rational brain shut down, and that's when we go into that fight-flight response. So we are reacting to this very stressful thing and we can't adapt unless we understand. And when we can't process, we can't really understand. So that's why sometimes people need to come to therapy to get to process what's gone on so that they can adjust better to what's happened. And the biggest fear of trauma is the fear of it happening again. So a lot of that is sometimes it's based on something real as in it could happen again, but a lot of the time it's the fear of it happening again. And we can deal with the symptoms of the traumatic situation, but we can't really change it or forget it. And so we have to adapt. We have to live with it. We have to almost take it and understand it. But in order to do this, we have to have compassion towards ourselves And not be hard on ourselves and give ourselves time to adjust but in the fast-paced life that we lead we don't give ourselves time
0: and we're very judgmental of ourselves as well aren't we or we can be i'm (laughs) talking about myself here we if we're not performing a hundred percent or we go oh what's wrong with you you just want to sit on the lounge instead of actually getting on with your life We're very judgmental about that.
1: And a lot of it comes from us. We also project onto other people. So we fear that people are going to judge us. And that is also something which is really counterintuitive because the only way that we can actually adjust to a situation is if we give ourselves space, time, we're kind to ourselves, we slow things down and we practice mindfulness, which I know is such a cliched term but is around us really practising focused attention so that we don't become overwhelmed with 5 million things at once.
0: It's also so tempting to just go and watch TV or do something so that you don't have to think about it. That's also a natural response, isn't it?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. But sometimes, Karen, that can be positive. So we need to find distracting techniques, and we are basically programmed as human beings to repeat, and we repeat behaviors. We repeat good behaviors, and we programmed unconsciously to repeat bad behaviors too. So sometimes a good behavior, we're talking about, you're talking about when you maybe a bit shut down. And you may be feeling quite low in yourself and your self-confidence is low or you don't have the energy and you're feeling quite depressed or flat and you're sitting on the couch and just watching TV and not doing anything and not being productive. But that can also be seen in a positive light in that sometimes we need to distract ourselves. If we're going through a loss or something really stressful, watching the same Episode of something or watching TV is a way that we can actually escape. I found that what was really effective for me was to watch fire, like vampire movies and things. I would just get so lost in that. So that almost at that time, nothing else exists. And that is a way of also being able to ground oneself and being able to to clear everything
0: out. really interesting you say that because I know a few years ago I was going through a really rough time. And I kept watching Harry Potter, but I'd watch the same movie, the one where Dumbledore dies, because at the end of it, you have a good cry. And it's interesting looking at it from the context that you're talking about.
1: And it doesn't matter how we give permission to our feelings, the importance is that we give permission to them. So, first of all, there were a couple of things going on there, but unconsciously, you were watching that because you knew it was going to make you cry. And as much as We don't want to get in touch with our feelings, but feel sad. There's some relief in that crying. And what's actually really going on there is the familiarity. So you know what's going to happen. That also gives you a sense of mastery in some way that you also know what's going to happen and that it's familiar and that provides some form of safety repeating. Repeating gives us a grounding or a safety or a sense of comfort.
0: Yeah, I'd never thought about it before. So that kind of behavior actually then gives you the confidence and security to start dealing with other things. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, or just it's like almost the familiarity that you're drawn to. The knowing, the familiarity, the sense of even knowing that at the end you're going to feel sad, watching it, knowing what's going to happen, how you see children get so excited when they know a story and you tell them the story, and then this happens, and then that happens. And it's it, it gives us that confidence, as you say, yes, and that repetition. And that's a good repetition. But there are negative ways in which we repeat. So we repeat familiar things. And... Familiar things to us could be if we had gone through something quite traumatic in our childhood. And, for example, we might be drawn to partners in relationships that are similar to maybe our caregivers or that behave in similar ways. So sometimes, like you can see with alcohol, we might be drawn to people that have problems with alcohol if our parent figures had were abusing alcohol. And we think that we want the exact opposite for ourselves. So why are we drawn to that? Or why do we turn to alcohol for comfort and things like that? Yes, you can say because we were we saw that was our role models, but it's also something it's basically familiar. And we will unconsciously repeat
0: behaviors. And it gives us some kind of a gratification. You said it can be, the repetition can be either positive or negative. Do we have any control over that? It's very difficult to recognize those negative repetitions. Like we don't even know they're going on sometimes.
1: You're totally right. Because 97% of our mental life is unconscious.
0: So then we are going to look for comfort in the repetition because we don't even think about it. We're not present to what's going on. We're not aware of it in any kind of way. It's just the way it is. But it's very hard
1: for anyone to get their heads around why you would unconsciously or consciously find oneself in a situation which is really bad for oneself and which you hate. There is some familiarity and familiarity is safe. And so as you say, then how do you stop yourself? Because it is an unconscious process or largely it's a very unconscious process. So entering therapy sometimes helps because you can explore that trauma or that or those difficulties with a therapist, which can help you to understand yourself better and help you to develop some self-awareness so that it's you're less likely to just go and impulsively repeat. And a lot of it is to make an effort to acknowledge and to really resist those pre-existing things. So to be able to say, this is what I have done in other relationships, or this is what my behavior has done. And by repeating that behavior, it's familiar and we keep on doing it again and again. But what we need to realize is that repeating the same behaviors is not going to give us a different result. It's only going to give us the same result. And sometimes we really have to show that compassion towards ourselves for what we've been through instead of being harsh on ourselves. Because I see a lot of people that are so harsh on themselves. Why did I go into the room? Why didn't I know? Why didn't I stop myself? How am I going to do it again? Which is a hard, And I, I know there's anxiety And that it's it's like, how can I prevent myself and I can't carry myself out of it. But if we go with the approach of uh, I realize that I have these patterns, I realise that I'm drawn to the familiar, maybe a parent figure that left and then I find myself with people that tend to leave me. And yes, of course, that isn't conscious. But there are might be some things that we can call sort of red flags or things that we can see right from the beginning that we just ignored. And now we can just take a step back. And give ourselves that space to go, okay, but I can, I tend to do this, say this in one's own mind, process it, and then we can't guarantee it, but try to look for the things that will tell us that this may be less likely to happen.
0: Really important point. And I've only just understood it now. Like I know most of the theory that you're talking about, but the mere fact that, Naturally, we will look for the things that are familiar over anything else and we're not even I'm not even aware that's what I'm looking for I'm looking for familiarity and just being aware of that fact then gives me more choice oh okay I'm just that's what I'm looking for I don't know I, and I haven't thought my way through how what I'd do if i if I was looking for something familiar I know that's the next step but that just that one sentence. We automatically look for familiar things. That's what we go to. It's huge. Mm. And we also almost,
1: it's a difficult thing to grapple with, but we also do it because we want to make it better. We want to change it. So in the example of maybe a parent figure that left early in one's life, And we maybe go for someone that does the same thing or has patterns that are the same or is away all the time. We want to then make it maybe different in some way so that we can gain that, that we can gain this gratification of a sense in that we can right a wrong. So that person doesn't actually, they might have similar patterns of behavior, but they don't. So we sometimes, repeat things to change them or to, and it's hard to really understand because it's such an unconscious process, but we almost want to right a wrong. So sometimes if we like redo it, we almost redo something in the present. So we maybe go for something familiar, like a partner that's never available. And we had in our history, a parent figure that left, and that we felt abandoned by. And then we find a partner who is familiar in some way because they're not around much. And in some way, we're trying to right the wrong. So maybe the familiarity of that, and then to make it right, that person maybe is distant, but doesn't leave altogether.
0: So say you recognize, you begin to recognize that pattern in there. How do you break it?
1: By Either entering into therapy, which can help us to understand ourselves, process things, become more self-aware, look at these patterns of behavior without just like leaping into it with this hope, oh, I hope I'm not going to do this again. So maybe by trying to uncover what it's
0: about
1: and understand it. Ah, so maybe I'm doing, because it's unconscious, one doesn't maybe even realize it. Even if it appears obvious,
0: so when you're saying you've got to try to understand what it's about, is that your motivation for doing it that you're talking about there, or what when is one, one
1: sees that there's perhaps maladaptive ways of coping, other people are noticing you're noticing that you are getting out of control, maybe with alcohol, with drug, with sex, with relationships, with fighting with everybody and you or other people are noticing that this is maladaptive and this is really affecting you but I suppose what we need to really say is that it doesn't have to really affect you and really be so bad for you to want to change it and remember that there's some gratification there's something familiar in the familiar so that's why we might not We might recognise it, but we might find ourselves being drawn into the same behaviours. Obviously, we're getting into alcohol is an addictive substance; drugs are neurologically addictive. But the there are patterns of repetition. There are triggers, and most of what we're saying is that those triggers are often it's often unconscious to us. But there's times when it's conscious, and then we might do one of two things: we might just ignore it. Because of the overwhelmingly powerful nature of the familiar and that it feels safe in some way and the other thing that we do is that it takes effort and energy and we also as much as we might like and this is why people are sometimes resistant to come for therapy is there's we like talking about it especially in social situations we we like it we like going on a date and someone asking us about us and be interested in us and us being able to talk about ourselves we all have that narcissistic part inside of ourselves that wants to that really wants people to be interested in us and wants to be seen and all of that but there's also and there's also talking about these things and there's also reminding ourselves of the terrible thing that happened to us with our ex and what we did and how we regret maybe some behaviors or we can't remember what happened last night because we were Absolutely intoxicated, whatever it is, it's difficult. And that's
0: why we resist change. We resist adaptation.
1: We resist all of these things.
0: And it must be more difficult to even consider adapting if you're in, you, somebody's just died, or you've just broken up from a relationship because adapting takes effort. Constant effort, and you might not have the energy for that. What happens then?
1: Yes, and also because, remember, your rational brain isn't working very well because you're so traumatised. You're so either shut down or your system is so activated, and then you can't think. When you are in that fight, flight, freeze response, you can't process, you can't think. So often what we have to do is work on our bodies. And then there's two things that basically neuroscientists have been able to research that change the brain and that are necessary in order to be able to cope or to help people to cope. And that is the one being meditation and the other one being exercise. So we have to, this is why it's so important to move our bodies. And sometimes when we're obviously really depressed and we don't have the same motivation or the same energy, even going for brisk walks is really important to keep moving. Obviously, if we can do more than that, like at least 30 minutes a day or 20 minutes, it's really important. That will help us to basically, it's like a natural antidepressant. We release endorphins when we exercise. And the other thing is meditation because that helps us to take away some of the noise and just focus inwardly. And obviously that would be accompanied with breathing or something called progressive muscle relaxation.
0: Because I know if I'm feeling a bit off, the worst thing, or the thing that I dread the most is getting in bed at night because that's Mm -hmm. when my brain starts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, I'll tend to go and exercise until I'm absolutely exhausted, which gives me a better chance of falling asleep.
1: And what you've touched on now, and for any of the listeners, they're going, Karen, you you should know that you're not supposed to exercise at night. That's going to keep you awake. And that's because everybody is an individual. So that's what I should have said right from the beginning, is that we all are so different. That what might work for you will not work for someone else. That if they exercise close to bedtime, it will keep them awake. For you, it makes you fall asleep. I can drink a strong coffee before I go to sleep and sleep like a baby. So we're all so different. And that's why adjustment is not, it's not a kind of a normalized thing. But we do know that all organisms need time to adjust. There has to be patience that That takes place, and we all will cope in different ways when we are faced with stressful situations. When we are faced with traumas, and we don't trauma is not a word that we use just to describe something that is absolutely horrific. A tsunami, no, it's that's one of the things. But a breakup is a trauma. A loss of a loved one, a pet is a trauma. Having losing your job is a trauma retiring is a trauma having a new baby is a trauma it's an adjustment it's a loss all adjustment in there is loss that
0: takes place when where i've gone with this is so i've got four children and the last two weren't planned particularly the last one i had her just after i turned 40 she was completely unexpected and don't get me wrong I absolutely adore her. I'm really glad I had her and everything. But at the time, it was a massive trauma because I had plans. I didn't expect to have a fourth child. Four kids. That's like new car. You can't go out as a normal family. There's all sorts of repercussions from that. Huge. And my husband didn't get it at all. He didn't understand why I couldn't just have a bit of a tantrum about it and then let it go. But it was huge for me because it changed the whole course of my life. And I don't know that I've ever really processed that trauma because I never thought of it as a trauma. I think that's where I'm going with it. I never thought of it as a trauma. Absolutely. That even,
1: and I think also it's society's expectations on us that when, you know, you have a baby and a new life and you're becoming a mother even for the fourth time, is something that you need to just see as a blessing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I think there's also obviously the other side, that it's huge. It's huge from so many perspectives. And it's interesting because I suppose we'd, I'd like to ask the question around how was it for your husband? <laughs> and would you really have known how it was for him, that maybe he didn't express it properly, and that somewhere your emotion... Put him in touch with his emotion around it and the massive adjustment that had to take place for him too.
0: Yeah. And no, so I've sometimes got no idea. too self-absorbed.
1: <laughs> but sometimes that's a defense mechanism against having to feel the overwhelming nature of what it would be like. How am um, you know I'm going to support my partner, the rest of my children, a new one, also that whole thing. Of like, how can we say, oh, but this is going to affect our travel plans. This is going to affect everything. I don't want this. But yet there's this part of us that's like blessed that, and wouldn't regret it now for anything. But it's huge. It's absolutely huge. And you're talking about having a fourth child and how massive that is. Even to have a first child or a second child or whatever, it's such an adjustment. When I had my first child, I couldn't process that I was actually going to have a human being. I thought I was going to have ET, like I was going to have an alien. I couldn't understand how I could have a human baby. And I thought, this is the strangest response to a pregnancy is that I can see other people have human beings. But somehow it was hard for me to believe that I would have a human being. And then when the baby came out, I was like, wow, it's it's human. (laughs)
0: It's Crazy. interesting you're saying that because the number of people who say, oh, when I have a baby, it's not going to impact my life. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> you got no idea. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. So even positive life changes, getting married, all these things. Obviously, it's, it's incredibly exciting that the thought of being with one person for the rest of your life is frightening, overwhelming anxiety provoking and it's just scary and you're going to have that part of you that feels the loss so all adjustment coming back to that whole concept of having to adjust to things takes time it is good and bad there's post-traumatic growth a lot of the time it's not all doom and gloom sometimes we have to go through something really difficult And I think in some ways that's what's happened with a lot of us with regards to COVID, the things that we appreciate now which we didn't appreciate or really think about before.
0: We just took for granted. It's interesting, I was talking to another psychologist about this the other week about how, and I hadn't considered it before, but the people who struggle most to adapt are probably the ones who struggled most during COVID. So. Well, I'm the kind of person, ADHD, who will move house every couple of years because I get bored. So I'm just like, give me some change. <laughs> but that's now familiar to me. That's now a familiar pattern. If I get upset about something, I go, i moving house. That's my first response because then I've got something else to think about.
1: Yeah, something else to think about. But also there's partly in this thing, remember when we say, that your traumatized brain or your emotional brain takes over your rational brain. It looks like this is really negative, but this is how we survive as humans. So in part, what that is around taking to flight and the fight-flight response, that's sort of taking to flight. When things get too much, we take to a sense of running away or getting away. And in the hope that we can, that we can find something that, that feels different and then that can take our focus. But I suppose, did you move around a lot as a child? Is that something familiar to you? It isn't.
0: No.
1: Then, okay, this is the kind of thing that you're doing. You're processing, okay, is this something familiar to me? Is this something that I used to do in the past? No, this is the new behavior. What is this doing for me? What are the positives of it? What are the negatives in it?
0: Are there negatives in it? Or maybe it's a really good thing. So did that, looking at what the positives and negatives are in that kind of response, because when we judge something, we judge it negatively. We rarely judge something, particularly about ourselves, as a positive. We always look at the bad side. Yes. But yet
1: a lot of the time when we are unconsciously repeating we tend to actually repeat the negative a lot. We repeat good behaviors, but a lot of the time we repeat the bad behaviors, particularly when we've been through a lot of or oh, bad stuff.
0: Why is that?
1: That need to right the wrong, the familiarity in the negative, and that often we remember traumatic or negative events more because they leave an imprint. Whereas positive things, they were good and they were nice and it would be nice too, but we didn't have to. We didn't have to go through a whole lot of stress. They just, they were good. They could be internalized. They could be obviously digested easily and were not difficult for us to get through. And so we remember the the trying times. We remember the sweating and the hardship.
0: That's really interesting. So we basically don't remember the good stuff because we process it and digest it and let it go. And we remember the bad stuff because we haven't and processed and digested it and let it go. Again,
1: we can't generalize, but generally evidence shows that we tend to remember things that are the worst parts than the parts that are good. And sometimes that can be an issue for us, but that's why it's important to to be able to process it, to be able to have compassion towards oneself so one can work through that, to be able to say, oh, that was then and this is now. It's no longer happening anymore.
0: Now, you're working with veterans of things and people post-COVID as well, post-traumatic stress disorder. How does this I am with all of that.
1: Not every veteran has post-traumatic stress disorder. There is obviously maybe different issues that that they would have to go through in terms of going away for long periods of time and this being quite stressful on themselves and on their family members. and obviously also sometimes going through post- trauma following, incidents from deployment or, but a lot of it is often also, again, whether you're a civilian or whether you're in the army or the Navy or the air force, a lot of childhood trauma. So there can be, it's there's not a rule, but a lot of what we often repeat is past things unconsciously. That doesn't mean that we have to go back to working through all of that and remembering all of that because sometimes that's really not a good thing sometimes that can traumatize us even more so when we want to get to the whole the topic I suppose today is repeating is adjusting if we want to get to a point of where we want to adjust and health more healthily we really need to Listen to what we need. Some people that is talking for other people that is exercising, that is doing other forms of body work, that's doing yoga, that's doing Pilates, that's doing group training, that's running. Whatever it is for that person can be different. But sometimes talking about it does help. But it doesn't mean we have to go into every nook and cranny and deal with this and when... You know, your father left it. What's important is to be able to do grounding exercises, to ground ourselves in the present moment and to recognize when we tend to do things that are maybe self-destructive, not good for us, so that we can try to recognize it. When we acknowledge and we recognize, that often gives us a lot of answers moving forward. It's just that we compulsively just repeat and we can obsessively do things. The sort of good example, the Harry Potter thing isn't destructive. It isn't obsessive in a terrible way. But I suppose if you were doing, if you needed to do it and you got anxious, if you didn't do it, then it probably would be. There are other things that we can do, which indicates that that we're looking to control and we're looking to ground and we're, we're, we are so caught up in it. And it is hard to change those things because in some way they feel safe, they feel familiar, and they're working for us. All negative behaviours have a good benefit. They have a benefit for us. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. And rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends, please. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you're leaving with some great ideas that can make a difference in your everyday life. Until next time.